please be seated. Get away, for Herod wants to kill you. This is a very dramatic utterance. The Pharisees, though, weren't warning Jesus about Herod in a spirit of generosity or concern. It was a political ploy. They thought it would be better for them if the Romans dealt with Jesus and silenced him instead of Herod, a fellow Jew. No blowback on them. Jesus sees through their machinations and states that he will, at the right time, go to Jerusalem. But in the meantime, there are people to heal, teaching to be done, and hope. Hope that he can protect the children of God from what is coming. His imagery is powerful. He calls Herod a fox. When a fox is used as a verb, it means to baffle or deceive. And he may as well be calling the Pharisees foxes as well. And he himself is the protector, the mother hen who wants to shield her chicks with her own body. My sense of who Jesus is in this passage is of a man impatient to be doing what urgently needs to be done. He is not going to be distracted by any warnings or attempts to change his direction. Part of him may want to pause and draw the world under his wings and shield it. But then, as now, too many in the world rejected the good news. So he must go to Jerusalem and offer his body as the ultimate sacrifice, his resurrection as the ultimate act of reconciliation. His response to hate is love. His response to more hate is more love. Let's catch his urgency this Lent. Let's take the time to reflect not only on Jesus' mission and ministry then, but what it would be now. Not merely WWJD, but what would Jesus do if he were here today? What would he see? What would he feel? How would he act? Who would he draw to himself and who would he try to protect with his own body? What would his responding with love look like? Last week, the first Sunday of Lent, we heard about how after his baptism, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went into the wilderness to pray and to meditate and fast in solitude. His baptism is an invitation to us to reflect on our own baptismal covenant. I like to think that Jesus' favorite part of the covenant would be where we promise to strive for justice and peace and protect the dignity of every human being. These are actions. Strive. Protect. I don't think Jesus would have sent his thoughts and prayers when there are school shootings or hate crimes or family separations. I think he would put his body on the front lines in danger and work for peace and reconciliation. In his letter from Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. expressed disappointment with those who preferred what he called a negative peace, that is, an absence of tension, rather than what he called a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. I can hear the echo of Jesus in Dr. King's words. 
In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern, and I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a complete otherworldly religion which makes a strange, unbiblical distinction between body and soul, the sacred and the secular. Our current times are showing us how little has changed since Dr. King's day and how much healing and reconciliation is still needed. WWJD, what would Jesus do now? Would his religion be otherworldly, making a strange distinction between body and soul? This man who infuriated Herod and the Pharisees? A few weeks ago, I went to a documentary film festival in Columbia, Missouri. Each year, new documentaries are debuted and locals and visitors have an opportunity to see films from all over the world, showing many different perspectives. There were films about women candidates to the House of Representatives, global warming, social isolation, and lack of community. My friends and I saw nine films in two and a half days. we didn't understand, and some that were very interesting and from a point of view we hadn't considered. A theme that I noticed in several of the films that we saw was a feeling of helplessness and powerlessness, often verbalized as, well, what are you going to do? I'm just one person. I can't change anything. I have thought about that a lot. I have often heard that one person, no one person, can fix the big problems that we face, but each person can make a small difference by speaking up or joining others in action and acting as a community. Thinking about this gospel passage and recognizing that Jesus was an agitator and a doer and willing to put his own body on the line has forced me to wonder a little more deeply about what we should be doing today. I can't pretend to have the courage of Jesus or others who speak up strongly and publicly about social and economic injustice, racism, and other pressing issues, unfortunately too many to name. But I can be a little bit brave and add my voice to other voices that are calling out for change. I can be a little bit brave in conversation if I hear a racist remark or a comment that otherwise indicates an unfair bias and gently say, that's not true. I can be a little bit brave and speak to people that I disagree with rather than to the people I already agree with. Listen to another point of view in order to understand it, to understand the person, not to try to change them or change their point of view. Engage in dialogue, even if it means hearing a view I vehemently disagree with. Respond with love. I worry that we are still, and again in the words of Dr. King in his letter from Birmingham Jail, a religious community largely adjusted to the status quo, standing as a taillight behind other community agencies rather than a headlight leading others to higher levels of justice. 
Last Sunday, Father Peter invited us this Lent to make choices that nourish us. And I would like to invite us as the next step to make choices that nourish others, especially others we don't know, by speaking up, by adding our voices to causes that ensure justice and peace and that respect the dignity of every human being. The beginning of the church year is Advent. It's a new liturgical year and a joy-filled birth is imminent. Lent, though, feels like the time to think about and to make New Year's resolutions. What will the rest of the year be like? What will need to be done? There is an urgency in Lent to repent, to change, to reflect more deeply on Jesus' words and actions, to take the good news of the gospel into our guts and our bones, and then resurrect it in our lives and in the lives of others. And we will, with God's help. Amen.